Don, I have to have an honest talk with you. And I think that your attitude has needs a little bit of an adjustment because I found you recently to be a little crabby. A little what? A little crabby. Hey, don't get snippy with me. Well, maybe if you walked a mile in my horseshoe crabs, which aren't what? crabs, but crab time. <laughs> also, don't walk on horseshoe crabs. Don't do it. They're important. Uh, yes, crab time. Welcome everyone to another episode of Pokey Science. We have cameraman Chris here as well as fisherman Don and we are back into Don's favorite world that is the water and we are going to be talking about crustacean mods today. Don, I know you are pumped for this one. I'm extremely excited. I love crustaceans in all shapes and forms. And there there are quite a few uh, crustacean Pokemon and we... At least seven. At least seven, but we don't actually get to go get through them all in the episode. We have a lot, and this might actually have to become a two-parter because there's quite a bit to talk about. Yeah, it would be great to have our, our guest back on some point in the future. So we do have a, a wonderful guest. I'm excited for you all to hear her and, and all the work that she does and, and what she thinks of the Pokemon in the game. So knowing that we've got that coming, Don, let's just jump right into the news. Let's go into it. All right, Don, we have a very special event going on in the world, uh, kind of, I, I think it's around the Virginia. Um, it's actually in a, quite a, quite a good number of states. Yes. Um, I believe, so the emergent, so we have the wonderfully ominous, ominously named Brood 10. Yes. Um, which is uh, a Brood, Brood X, to Brood be more X, ominous. Which is better. Yes. <laughs> but, um, they are, so periodical cicadas are cicadas that I believe this swarm, this brood, yeah, every 17 years, mm -hmm. um, after hanging out in the ground, they hatch and they climb and they scream and they mate and then they die. What a life. What a life. <laughs> um, so brood 10 is a massive brood that will be hatching in a whole bunch of states, Georgia, both the Indi Indiana, Illinois, Virginia, Delaware, Kentucky, Maryland, North Carolina, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and I think maybe Michigan. So kind of like the, the East Mideast kind of area. Yeah, unfortunately, Florida, we used to have a swarm, but only in North Florida, and it went extinct in like 1805. Yeah, I know uh, in Virginia, I, got, I think it was in middle school, the last time Brood X came around, and people went nuts. There, I think it's a really cool-looking breed of cicada, mm -hmm. species of cicada as well. Well, you think it's cool until it like flies straight into your face. I mean, we already have cicadas in Florida that just do that every year. <laughs> Well, I don't, and it was not fun. But no, they're they're, and everyone always goes bonkers for them. I know that the last time there was like cicada tacos and and all that kind of stuff that people just go crazy eating them. It was the kind of thing that like you could not walk without crunching. Yeah, I've seen some pictures. I might be going up this weekend actually and uh, yeah. taking a gander. And for any uh, any fishing fans out there, the bite's supposed to be very fired up because of all the cicadas uh oh i just turned this new like a fishing report but throw lures that look like cicadas everybody there you go don's fishing corner <laughs> that's that'll be a new service i offer on the patreon that's right no this is this is it's definitely a cool little phenomenon that happens you'll love it when it starts and then you'll hate it once you they just keep doing their screaming how long are they active for um i think a couple months Okay, yeah, a couple months of screaming sounds about right. Oh, here's a great um, 
diary entry from some English guy that was published in London in 1771. Okay, go for it. Hit me. There, there are a kind of locusts which every 17 years come hither in incredible numbers. Betwixt the years, they are so numerous, they are only seen or heard single in the woods. So how about that? I think that should be read at the start of every brood X hatching. Also, apparently, um, some of the young have been reported up to 30 feet deep Dang. in the dirt. That's, so. that's, pr- that's pretty deep down there. Oh, yeah. Well, in Pokemon news, we have some very exciting uh, game game update news in that we have release dates for the next two Pokemon games. So we have Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, which is going to be November 19th, 2021, right around the holiday season. And that's going to be a lot of fun, a good little nostalgia kick. Uh, but not too far behind that, we have the uh, Legends... We have Pokemon Legends Arceus on January 28th. So that's roughly two months after it. We're getting the big open world RPG game, which I know we are all very excited for. So we'll probably be doing some some specialized shows uh, leading up to those those release uh, towards those release games. So uh, I know we're all very excited for that. And I think those I think. Arceus in, in, or Legends in particular is going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to find out more. Uh, but let's keep moving in with the news so we can get to the interview. We do have Sylveon in Pokemon Go now. Do we? Yes, it is out. How do I get it? You get it. So there are two ways you can get it. One is you make Eevee your buddy and you earn 70 hearts. From playing with it, right? Yeah, yes. pl- playing with it, walking with it, fighting with it, all that kind of stuff. So if you have it as your buddy and only just walk with it normally, will you eventually accumulate those hearts? Or do you have to do some combination of... You will eventually get it. It'll just take a while. Okay. Honestly, the easiest way, easiest thing to do is just to like, when you wake up in the morning, give it some quick treats because that'll give you a heart. And just, I mean, that'll still take 70 days if you only do that. But do that, take a snapshot of it. Do a battle a um, one of the trainers, one of the the like the mystic leaders, and right. one of those battle them with Eevee in your party. It'll add up fast. The other way you can do it is if you name the Eevee Kira. So it's like the original things with the uh... yeah, with like the Eevee brothers and and all yes, that. Yeah. yes. It's the same thing because it happened with all the other ones. But basically, if you nickname it Kira, it will evolve into a Sylveon, which I'm planning to do with one of my shiny Eevees that I've stopped. I do like shiny Sylveon. Yeah, shiny Sylveon's probably is a good one. I now have like a bunch of shiny Eevees that I'm just going to be holding on to in perpetuity until we finally get more Eevee Mons. Question, what is your favorite shiny Eeveelution? <sighs> shiny Eeveelution. Leafeon's kind of lame. Honestly, it might be Sylveon. For me, it's Sylveon. I think Umbreon is very good, though. It's uh, it's got the blue rings over. Oh the, yeah, uh... yeah. The shiny Umbreon's good. Also, shiny Eevee, I really like too. Shiny Eevee might be one of the best, actually. Yeah, I really like shiny Eevee. Shiny Espeon is upsetting. It's I... <laughs> very alieny, though. I like it better than shiny Flareon. Is there kind of gold or what's Flareon? It's like go- yeah, goldish reddish. Yeah, that is the that's the, that's the Pokemon Go news. And then we have a release date for the next trading card expansion, which is June eighteenth for Chilling Rains. Will people be able to get that expansion? I anywhere? think they. I think they finally. They're. 
Other than Target, most places seem to have a little bit of a handle on it with the limiting of purchases. I know I've already got some stuff pre-ordered, so I'm excited to get it. But Chilling Rains, June 18th. It'll be, it'll be a good set. God, it feels like Battle Styles just came out and then Battle Styles was a little bit of a disappointment, but whatever. Maybe it was only a disappointment because I couldn't really get any of it. But we, I guess we have show news, Don. Yes, we do. Why don't you, why don't you hit us with, with the show news? So we will be at Colossal Con in Sandusky, Ohio. Yes, it is. That's where it is. Um, so we'll be there. We'll be doing several panels on Friday and Saturday. Um, so if for some reason you listen to this on that Friday, the 4th, 5th, whatever it is of June, and you are also in somehow in Sandusky, Ohio, come on out. And then Saturday we'll be there too. Yeah, I, I was thought I said Friday, Saturday. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll be there late on Saturday. Yes, all day. Um, but as I said, we're keeping this new stuff a little bit short this week because we have a pretty, pretty full interview. So Don, let's just get in right with our guest. Let's get right to it. All right, Don. Well, it's time we get into the meat of this episode. So why don't we welcome our guest? Come introduce yourself. Thank you for being here. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Alice Chow, and I'm a graduate researcher at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. I actually grew up in Northern Virginia, so I was very excited oh, to did see you really? doing work at, at UMBC. Oh, you know UMBC? No one knows UMBC. Oh, I know UMBC. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I hope that no one hears me say no one knows UMBC because it really is a great place. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, I saw that and I was like, yeah, DMV. <laughs> um, I'm from California. So when I moved here and I was like, what school did I end up at? And everyone's like, oh, you, you moved to Baltimore? Are you going to Johns Hopkins? Nope. Sorry. Sorry to disappoint. <laughs> yeah, that's the one That's the one that typically comes to mind first. But UMVC Exactly. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I'm a graduate researcher at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. I usually call myself a marine neurobiologist uh, mm-hmm. because the work that I do sits at the intersection of crustacean biology and brains. Specifically, I study the brains of mantis shrimps. Uh, most people don't think about whether or not crustaceans have brains, but they need them to help figure out what they see and smell, where to find food, and who to mate with. And so that is what I find particularly interesting. And why do we, do we want to know how their brain works? You know, what, you know, what, why does that matter? So I am a big proponent of basic research, which means doing research for research's sake, mostly because you never know what sort of discovery is going to come out of it. I care about mantis shrimp brains mostly because they have not only had a big moment in pop culture recently, but they have the most incredible set of eyes. Mm -hmm. They have some of the most intricate visual systems we know of, and they also punch things really, really hard. And so for me, I'm very interested in what happens in between. How does sensory information get translated into these really complex behaviors? And out of curiosity, how did you fall in love with mantis shrimp? (laughs) Well, it was love at first sight. No, my background is actually in developmental neuroscience. And when I was trying to figure out a graduate career, I realized that I didn't have to research dolphins to become a marine biologist. So I started looking everywhere. I didn't sympathize with that. Right? I went to, I went to Eckerd College in uh, St. Pete, Florida, and half of the marine biology people were – it was just dolphins or sea turtles. They're just – I mean, one. sea turtles are pretty – they're just 
I know that they're extremely charismatic and they're super cool animals, but you gotta give the other ones some love too. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's like you said, you know, you never know what, what one piece of research will turn up because you don't, you can't ask the question you don't know exists. Exactly. Um, and I think that's really, really important. Like some of the greatest um, scientific discoveries and development of scientific tools have happened completely on accident uh, by people who had no idea that they were looking for this. They were just very curious about the world around them. Yeah. I also have to know, I think I may have missed this pop culture moment you spoke of. What What was the mantis shrimp pop culture phenomenon? Oh, <laughs> So there were three three things that really like kicked off the mantis shrimp obsession on the internet. Okay. Uh, one was the Zafrank YouTube video. Oh, the um, was... true facts about the mantis shrimp. Yes. So that was, I think, his very first video, and it went totally viral. Okay. There was the oatmeal comic about mantis shrimps. That one like got shared around a lot. I would say that it's not particularly accurate, but it's pretty cool. And finally, there was a couple, there were a couple Radiolab episodes on mantis okay. shrimp and their okay. color vision. And how, how prevalent are mantis shrimp? Like how odds of someone seeing them in the wild? So I think those are two different, two different questions. Okay. They are much more common than people think they are. Uh, you can find them basically all over the world. Uh, there's over 400 species. Most of them, like the biggest diversity of them is in like tropical and subtropical areas. But if you're out in the water, unless you know where to look for them, you're probably not particularly likely to find them unless you know what you're looking for. Because they're really good at hiding in their burrows. They're really good at, you know, just like darting around, swimming and avoiding people. Although if you look closely, you'll find burrows with two little eyes poking out of it. And that's probably a mantis shrimp. I've caught them fishing by accident like four times. And I've only deliberately, really? yeah, I've only deliberately caught one once, which was up in uh, St. Augustine. Saint, uh, you probably caught uh, some manuscript of the genus Squilla. I think those are the most common around there. Were they uh, little or big? It was pretty good size and like kind of brownish. Yeah. It's probably a Squilla. Those oh, are okay. great. I really like them. They're one of the more docile ones. So you can like pet them and have like an 80% of being stabbed instead of 100. Are they the, the stabber? They're the stabbers, not the smashers, right? Yeah. So Squilla are spears. Yes. Okay. Yeah. They sound very violent. But yeah, I know a bunch. I live in like Southwest Florida now, and I know a lot of people here will catch them uh, like just as a rarity while night fishing, but enough that people kind of, that's their experience with them. That's kind of fun. I yeah. wish I've never, I mean, I do catch them for field work, but I've never like come upon one accidentally. So in your, uh, in your studies with, with their vision, what in particular about their environments would, would their vision need to, to be capable of? You know, what, what do they need to, to be able to function in their world? They, so part of the reason why we talk a lot about how cool their vision is, is because they have color vision that extends out beyond what is, I guess, the human visible light spectrum. So they have UV vision, uh, they have circular and linear polarization vision. And I know that's a lot of physics talk. But one thing that I'd like to point out is that mantis shrimps are one, the only animal that we know of that's capable of circular polarization vision. And two, are also the only animal we know where some species reflect light in a circularly polarized manner off of their body. So it's essentially a secret code. Uh, if you if they see some circular polarization somewhere, they're like, oh, that's another mantis shrimp. Mm -hmm. uh, they also use 
their polarization vision to navigate around their homes and to find food uh, and to find their way back. What else would they use? They use their vision for everything. Like my colleagues always say that if a mantis shrimp sees something, it's automatically a nail because it's going to smash it. <laughs> yeah. So, so with the with the polarization vision, are we talking like electromagnetic wave type things, or how would you describe that that type of vision? So, polarization vision is actually not that uncommon, especially within arthropods. But yes, so light has both. A, I'm going to mess this up. I just know it. Uh, <laughs> but light has both. Uh, like it's it's electromagnetic, right? So it always has a wave orientation. A photon is going to be oriented in a particular direction. Polarized light is essentially when all of the photons in like a bunch of light are oriented in the same way. That's why we have polarized sunglasses mm -hmm. is because they cut out uh, light of all, wavelengths is the wrong word, of, of different polarization orientations than specific ones. And mm -hmm. then you have much less glare. Yes. That's a good example. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Okay. All right. And good. so then, so theoretically, well, not theoretically, because you just said this is what they do, but like when a mantis shrimp sees another one, it has basically just that portion of it, it, it can see because of the polarization. Yes. So okay. what I think the best way to describe it is that they can distinguish between different degrees of polarization, which is gotcha. not something that humans can do. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. It's awesome. And does it work on, on other things besides mantis shrimp too? Like that's how they identify just their world or is that just one cool little factor about the vision? So they're the only ones who can do circular, circularly polarized light, but mm. linearly polarized light is actually really common in nature. Actually, the sky has a very specific pattern of linearly polarized light. And I, I know that this sounds like, like science gobbledygook, but what I can tell you is that many, many animals, including mantis shrimps and bees and a bunch of other arthropods use that as a guidance for navigating around the world. Yeah. Awesome. It's like a map for them. Oh, I gotcha. Okay. Yes. Well, Sorry. I should have just used that word. Very convenient for them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So unfortunately, as we will probably talk later on in the episode, we do not have a mantis shrimp Pokemon. So this episode is expanding a little bit into the world of crustaceans so if, if you could for making sure all of our listeners as we die, as we're about to get into the pokemon make sure they're all on the same kind of starting ground could you give a, a brief overview of what qualifies a crustacean and some shared characteristics yeah absolutely uh so crustaceans are a group of arthropods uh, that are related very closely related to insects uh, they're invertebrates they don't have a backbone. They have exoskeletons and are segmented. And these are all uh, general characteristics of arthropods. However, they're usually aquatic. Both, uh, you can find them in both freshwater and saltwater, but some are terrestrial, like hermit crabs and roly-polies. Crustaceans include animals that you've probably heard of and eaten, including crabs, lobsters, shrimps, and ones that you might not have, like copepods and ostracods and branchiopods. There's about 67,000 described species, I think, and there's probably even more that have never been described. You've especially eaten them if you grew up in the Chesapeake Bay area. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up on the West Coast, and I know that this has gotten me into many, many arguments, but I actually prefer Dungeness crab over blue crab. Oh, no. I was liking I you, too. <laughs> Stone crab gang. <laughs> 
I got blue blue crabs and Old Bay seasoning. That's what it is. <laughs> it that is the like the the mascot of Maryland, right? One of my roommates from college uh, has like he one has a little tiny Old Bay thing that he keeps on a keychain. Oh my for, god! I guess emergencies, yeah. and he has like four Old Bay stickers just like on his car. The crab emergency. Yeah, that's, he that's buys incredible. it by the gallon. Nice. <laughs> I also feel like you haven't been a true Marylander until you injure yourself eating blue crabs. This is also true. There's a lot of hammers flying around. There's a lot of hammers. There's a lot of like spikes out of the crab. The first time I went, I, I did like a crab feed. I like looked around asking for band-aids and everyone just looked at me like it was crazy. That's just part of the experience. <laughs> yeah, It's part of the experience. Uh, and so the, the the last question I'll have before we jump, or actually I got a couple more, but uh, yeah. so um, in what role do crustaceans typically serve in their environments? What, what impact do they have? Oh God, that's such a hard question to answer because there's such a huge diversity of, mm. of crustaceans. Uh, I think it's probably fair to say that most of them are detritivores, meaning that they eat basically anything. Mm. Uh, but of course there are some that are herbivores and some that are predators, but they're also really important because they are a food source for a lot of other ocean critters. And then this last, the next question is a little bit out there, but it's one Lucas wanted to bring up because he's talked about mm -hmm. it on the podcast before. But the term carcinization, uh, <laughs> aka, I believe it's it's we all, everything evolves into crabs. We'll all be some, crabs one day. We will all be crabs one day. Uh, are you familiar with this at all? And and can you shed some light on this topic that Lucas seems to bring up like every couple months? <laughs> I, I mean, I knew this question would come up. I feel like it's been such a hot topic on the internet lately. Um, okay, so for anyone who hasn't heard, carcinization is literally the process of becoming a crab. Something that's hard, flat, oval shaped, with a bunch of legs, and has an abdomen that's like folded under. Mm -hmm. And... I think the reason it's become so popular is because literally crabbiness has evolved separately a number of times, but this process called convergent evolution is actually not that uncommon, right? For example, wings for flying have evolved at least four times mm -hmm. and I don't really see us like flapping in the air anytime soon, but evolution is constantly happening. It's not as if like what we have right now is like what everything is going to stay depending on what uh, the environment requires over the next like several million years, crabs could just as easily decarcinize in the other direction. Yeah. Tragic. So they could actually like undo their crabbiness, which so is true. I completely agree. Crabs are awesome. So you're saying that you're not saying no, but you're saying probably not. <laughs> I, I am very, very sad to report that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lucas will be disappointed because he's been he's been all about this. <laughs> there and is someone on YouTube who made this amazing mantis shrimp costume with functioning smashers. Oh, and so wow. I feel like if you want to go in that direction, you could probably, you know, DM them or something for I'll instructions. Say, Lucas already dresses up as Magikarp. So I bet he could make a make a make a sick costume. Business with that. magic. Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, that's right. Sorry, it's business magic carp. <laughs> that's amazing. He has a suit and very white shoes. The last question that we have for for the topic uh, is: um, Are crustaceans in any way? 
And obviously, I realize that this is a broad, a broad topic just to say crustaceans. But are crustaceans in any way threatened, or are they too hard to kill? And if they are threatened, are there some ways that people could help out? I think that's a really good question. Um, and one that I also think is hard to answer because crustaceans are really such a big group. Mm -hmm. And like any other animals, the sensitivity to changes in their environment varies a lot. But I do think that there's two primary threats to crustacean biodiversity. Uh, first is the overall decline of wild habitats. And I think this is true for all biodiversity around the world. Mm -hmm. um, the gradual decline although I wouldn't say it's gradual, the pretty immediate decline of our coral reefs is devastating for many reasons, and also deforestation of terrestrial habitats. Second is probably overfishing, and that isn't really something that you can help, but you can support sustainable fisheries. Like There are a number of crustacean fisheries that have built-in sustainable practices by way of regulations. So you can have your crabs and eat them too. I think the, I don't remember which crab fishery it is, but probably on both coasts, they limit the size and the sex of the crabs that are caught. Mm -hmm. And this ensures both crustaceans and humans are happy. Like the population won't decline too much, mm -hmm. which is really good. I know in Florida, you can't take any egg-bearing females. Yeah, um, exactly like that. Right, because yeah. then it's it's not a it's not a good look. No. Yeah. And also, it's not particularly well studied, but uh, some good news is that crustaceans probably won't be as impacted by ocean acidification. Ocean acidification is actually a huge problem for shelled animals like clams and snails. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think there were a couple papers showing that. Crabs and lobsters have been shown to grow stronger shells in more acidic So like a chitin versus like calcium oh. thing? Basically, yeah. That's interesting. Um, I mean, this might have its own downsides, but so far that doesn't seem like it would be a huge issue for decapods at least. So that falls under the they are too hard to kill category? Yes, it does. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, unless there's anything that you want to add into this topic matter about crustaceans or, or Wait, mantis real shrimp. Real quick. Do you work with like a particular species of mantis shrimp or is it just a or like sort of more broad? Both. So most of my work is surrounds a Florida species of mantis shrimp, actually. I think they're called, the common name is the rock mantis shrimp. They're probably the size of your pinky finger and they're fantastic. I love them. And I do sometimes work with squilla. But we are incredibly lucky to have several field stations around the world where we can go and collect a bigger diversity of mantis shrimp. Uh, so, yes, both. Okay, that's cool. And I know, like, when everyone imagines them, thinks about mantis shrimp now, everyone thinks about their brain goes straight to, like, the peacock mantis. It's a huge pet peeve of mine. <laughs> it's, would you say the, the, peacock, the peacock mantis shrimp is the dolphin of the mantis shrimps? That is exactly the way that I it's would put it. It's the ambassador. <laughs> and they're just, they're so ostentatious. I mean, they're cool looking, but there are other really, like, there are cooler ones, yeah. I think. Well, well give, give me one Give me one that you think outclasses the peacock mantis shrimp. Ooh. Okay, so I'm, I've never seen one in real life. Um, I have seen uh, descriptions of them and read papers on them, but I am a, I am particularly fond of mantis shrimp in the genus Corysquilla because on their tail, like mantis shrimp are already kind of mean looking. They have their punchies and, and spiky tails, but on their telson, which is part of the tail, their 
it it's completely covered in spikes kind of oh like a, we have yeah. these in florida right oh <gasps> do you really yeah the spike there's like i think there's one called the spiky tailed mantis shrimp oh that's amazing i've never seen one before and i would love to find one please double check because i think i've actually caught one if that's yeah i think they and they're also like quite beautiful too in terms of their coloration and of course i like uh there's one species of mantis shrimp on the west coast um Hemisquilla californiensis, and I mean, I'm a West Coast girl. I'm from California. This mantis shrimp is blue and yellow. Cal oh. colors, go bears. Uh, oh, so it's the scaly-tailed mantis shrimp, not the spiny tail. Oh, the scaly-tailed. I gotta look that one up. Yeah, there's. I remember seeing a picture a couple years ago of someone that caught one that was like 18 inches long. Oh, those are big. So yeah, they're big. Yeah. I didn't know we had those in Florida. That's awesome. Look at those guys. They're beautiful. I get, and you also, you've talked to them about them, like, kind of bashing it and, and spearing. If someone were to, like, like, can they hurt a human? Like, if, if the human mishandles it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. How, <laughs> oh, how, yeah. how, how, how badly? Uh, so, I love, he's going to kill me. I love telling the story of one of our former lab members. He was doing, like, filming a little segment, and he picked up this particularly mean mantis shrimp, probably, like, the length of your hand mm. he was wearing dive gloves by the way which are what two millimeters thick three sometimes yeah and it punched him he dropped it yelled and dropped it pulled off his glove and there was just like blood streaming down his hand oh my god so in several countries they're also called thumb splitters uh, i've heard yeah. old dudes at the pier call them that before too yeah they're they can be kind of mean uh, I would not pick one up with my bare hands. I would use a net. So did this one draw blood with a punch without breaking the, the glove or did it break the glove? It, I don't think it broke the glove. I think Fuck. literally the force of it. Oh my gosh. Broke the skin of his, of one of his fingers. They pack a punch. They'll, oh yeah, they do. They'll crack a aquarium glass, right? Uh, yeah, it's not as common as people think, but they will definitely do that. They'll like if they keep striking at the same spot, they'll definitely generate generate like hairline fractures that'll eventually turn into a much more serious crack. Oh my God. Uh, I think the best comparison is um, some mantis shrimp can strike with a force up to uh, what's comparable uh, to a twenty two caliber rifle bullet. Woo. Yeah, it's a lot. And yeah. it's cool, like, the, the biophysics and the biomechanics of it are amazing. Yeah, all right. Well, on on that terrifying note, uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's, uh, don't pick up Mantis Shrimp, kids. We'll go right into the Pokemon, and we will kick off with the original Crustacean Pokemon, the one that we all know and love, Krabby and Kingler. And for me, and we, we can, we can hash this out between us, Krabby always kind of struck me as... A generic crab like there, there wasn't really anything that that jumped out to me up until pokemon crystal because in that one it has its dex entry where it says that it is able to uh, if it can't find nutrients it will actually start to swallow sand to absorb nutrients from the sand and that actually uh reminded me of a, a sand bubbler uh crab which are filter feeders and they're able to sift out things like plankton and, and other bits from the sand and leave behind the little bubbles or little little circle globs of sand. But I don't know if any of you had any other specific crab thinkings of it or were just like, yeah, it's got pincers and, and little, it, it looks like a crab. 
It does, although I kind of have a problem with its critter design and yeah. that its eyes are set into the body. I was going to ask you, because I feel like that is the case for almost all of the crustacean mons. Like, I yeah, feel like I the eyes are I have a huge issue with that. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up because I like, you know, when I was doing the research, I kind of, I was looking at the, I never connected those dots before. And then I'm seeing like, I'm like, these eyes don't look right. No. They're, they're wrong. They are wrong eyes. So, <laughs> it's going to bother me way more than it already did now. I'm so I, sorry. I, no, I, it already sort of bugged me, but I, I thought this was like a lone complaint of mine. No. It's, well, it's, they, it's... they very clearly went for like the cuteness factor. What What is it about the eyes that besides, so they sit in, what, what should the eyes look like if you were designing them? So, okay, there are two things that I would I would change. One is that Basically, all crabs have stalked eyes, meaning that the eyes are at the end of these little sticks. Mm-hmm. That's really characteristic of of crabs and most crustaceans, I would say. Not all, definitely. And I, I think this is the second thing is something that's less fixable, mostly because it is not just a Pokemon problem. It's an all animation problem. It's that these animals have camera type eyes. They have like a white eye with an and a pupil mm-hmm. instead of compound eyes which in and of themselves can look really cool they're just probably harder to animate yeah i think the only crustacean mon that has the stocked eyes that you're talking about is dwebble i think you're right hold so on it's kind of got stocky eyes doesn't he uh a little bit i guess now i'm just trying to remember how like every single pokemon like crab mon's eyes are Armaldo is definitely just... not. Um, no, it's not. A- Anorith, I, I'll, I'll give you on the stocks. It's got those little the mm-hmm. little bars. Definitely some cartoon eyes, though. But yeah, yeah. But Dwebble and Crustle. I think. I mean, I, I think Crustle keeps kind of. They just get a little shorter. It looks like. Yeah. But the the uh, the issue that I had with with Krabby's design and kind of mo- a, a good mon- a bunch of the crustacean mons is that. They only have six legs or six appendages. Uh, and obviously crabs, lobsters, shrimps are, are decapods. And so, like, I just don't know why. It's like, I don't know why they only gave it six legs. So I will point something out. Okay. That, okay, so crabs are, there's there's two groups. There are the, quote, true crabs. Mm the Brachyurans, and then there are the Anomurans, which are like the quote, fake crabs. No, they're not fake. False crabs. That's much more accurate. Okay. <laughs> um, and although, like, this is, it's part of the whole, like, carcinization uh, conversation. But generally, uh, Anomurans, the false crabs, uh, don't show the final pair of legs. They're reduced, they're tucked up under, and so I feel like if they're going for a more Anomurin origin story, that might be a little bit more excusable. Like hermit crabs are not true crabs. Okay. Neither are king crabs. One other bit that I came across for Kingler, which I did not know if was a thing from crabs or if they were like, how can we make this thing more terrifying, is in the GMAX form for Kingler. It says that the bubbles it spews are strongly alkaline that quickly melt away bodies. And I did not know if that was anything accurate at all, or if they were just trying to make something terrifying for the G-Max. Is that something that, that, is, that any crab can do? Not that I know of. 
there are many, many, many crabs out there, but I can't think of like how it would possibly do that. Yeah. From a physics point of view, so I'm gonna call bull on that. Okay, that's fair. You know, big, big. Scary... I'm sorry. Is this supposed to be family friendly? We, I tried to be. <laughs> we, that's what you said is fine. We we typically aim for family okay. friendly. Okay. But that they just went for big scary crab, and they were like. Yeah. It can melt away, and that's totally fine, but not anything that you're familiar with. I think the only thing that they might be going for mm. is, and I mean, this is this is going to start going into the Klontzer, Klawitzer mm-hmm. uh, conversation, but using bubbles as, like, pseudo-bullets is a very pistol shrimp thing to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Don loves the pistol shrimp. Big fan. Um, well, on, on that, on that segue, Don, why don't you clue us in on your, your favorite sons? All right. Yeah. So these are two Pokemon I was really excited were added to the game in X and Y. Yes. Um, yeah. So they are pistol shrimp. So pistol shrimp have like one sort of normal claw and one really big beefy claw. Right. Mm. And in the claw, it's sort of jointed where there's like a, so it's almost like a hammer and anvil inside the claw. So when the shrimp snaps them together really quickly, it causes like a shockwave in the water, which it'll use to stun prey. And it can even like, they can, they can knock out a pretty good sized fish, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. They're also super loud. Yes. They're called snapping shrimp too. You can hear them. I've had them in a tank before. Outside of, um, I will say outside of, um, the eyes being wrong, um, Clauncher looks pretty similar to like an actual pistol shrimp. Other cool pistol shrimp things, um, they have a symbiotic relationship with gobies, and I would hope maybe one day we could get a goby Pokemon so they could have some sort of team up. Oh, yeah. um, kind of I like, would love that. Yeah. Like, truly, that would be the coolest thing ever. Kind of like a Remoraid Mantine situation. Yeah, but better because <laughs> pistol shrimp. <laughs> But the um so the pistol shrimp has a laser cannon arm and is good at digging holes, and the goby is good at seeing things and twitchy. So the pistol shrimp digs a hole that the goby lives in, and then the goby sort of watches out for predators. Um, and the pistol shrimp can kind of keep the burrow expanded and also do a little defense with that claw. So it's like a spotter, a spotter and a sniper, basically. Yeah, that could be a cool little. If maybe we get tag teams in the next game, I don't know, but that could be kind of neat. Tag team that that would be I that I th- I feel like that is a logical step for the games to make, where you have a little bit more symbiosis in the the duos battles. Um, but we the one bit that I that I saw in the decks for Clauncher that um, I was curious is that it uses it says it uses the claw in that sort of jetting per, uh, thing or jetting. Um, wow, what's the word I'm looking for? movement or motion action the jetting action uh to move around do pistol shrimp use it for movement at all or do they just use it to to pop things in the face i don't think they use it for moving around i've seen them like kind of like get knocked backwards when they do it but i think that's more of a recoil issue than a deliberate like escape i think they just flap their tail to get away okay yeah although something that's really cool um is that this is this is work done by uh, Dr. Alex Kingston. Um, she's found that pistol shrimps, at least the species that she studies, has like a clear shield over their eyes. 
presumably to protect them from bubbles. Interesting. Other cool pistol trim thing that I learned about like recently, and I guess it's not that recent of news, but I just learned about like the U Social pistol shrimp. Yes. Oh my god, they're so cool. Yeah, I learned about this like this week when I was doing a little more like brushing up for the show. And I could not believe that one, I didn't hear about it earlier, but how crazy it is that there's And they live in sponges, which makes it even cooler for people who are who don't know. Eusociality is essentially um, a very high level of organization of community uh, where the animals are cooperative and all live together and there's division of labor. So the most uh, obvious example of eusociality is within bees, within honeybees. Uh, so the fact that there's eusociality in like, this group of crustaceans is, is incredible. It's very, very cool. And there's even like specialization within the, the sort of colony. Like there's males with extra large pincers doing like soldier duty. Um, so it's like very ant colony esque. They can really just make a whole game with different pistol shrimp. <laughs> that that's that's what I you can do, Don. A Pokemon, yeah. but only pistol shrimp. They'll sue me. So I can't do that. <laughs> well, don't call it Pokemon, and you're good. Uh... It's pistol shrimp collector. <laughs> oh, last fun uh, pistol shrimp fact. At least there's some accounts of people that were, um, in World War II listening for military submarines and being foiled by areas with lots of pistol shrimp clacking. I guess it was enough interference on like the hydrophone back in the day. I'm not actually sure if they've solved that yet. I don't think they have. Yeah, I guess I don't really know how you stop noise when you're trying to listen for noise. And actually, I believe that in some war, some submarine went into pistol shrimp, quote, fields intentionally to hide themselves. I think that was World War II, but I might be World War II, okay. And I think it was American submarine that did that to hide from... That is crazy how loud they are. (laughs) Especially when you have all of them going together all at once. Kind of like the cicadas that are outside right now. Oh, don't get me started. I'm so glad I'm not near those cicadas. I'm bummed. I was actually kind of excited to have them. And then I realized I'm outside the zone. But I might be driving up. I was about to say, it is so exciting. I I mean, people are like, Alice, you nerd. It is incredible. I love it. I might be driving to Georgia this weekend to go see some. It's I, I had a I had it once in my life. I had it once in my life, and that was enough. But everyone That's went right, on the you're cicada. From cra- yeah, everyone did the cicada craze. You know, radio station were doing the eat a cicada for a gift card, whatever. I made tacos. Are they good? Yeah, it tasted just like soft shell crab. Yeah, I keep hearing in North Carolina is that cicada. Lots of cicadas means more copperheads because copperheads like cicadas as treats. Oh, I didn't know that. That's a little horrifying. All right. Well, we are slightly Wait, real off quick uh, to get more, <laughs> both more on and off topic. Speaking of eating crunchy creatures, have you eaten a mantis shrimp? Because we started talking about this off the off the air, and we decided it was uh, worth bringing up. Have I eaten mantis shrimp? I get asked this question all the time. Yes, I have eaten mantis shrimp. Uh, They are delicious, although generally I think I prefer, you know, your classic uh, shrimp cocktail. I've had them in Japan as nigiri, and I've had them in the field uh, just as uh, something quick, quick field stir fry. But I would really, really like to try mantis shrimp, uh, like Hong Kong style, uh, fried over super high heat, or even better, 
in shrimp scampi because apparently original like OG shrimp scampi uses mantis shrimp. I mean, last time I was in Hong Kong, uh, well, the only time I've been in Hong Kong, I could not convince my friends to go get mantis shrimp with me, which was very disappointing. Oh. Um, but it is, I, for people who are curious, uh, it's so the texture is quite similar to the shrimp that we eat. It is a little softer and a little sweeter. Well, I will try some the next time I get an opportunity to try some mantis shrimp. Maybe, <laughs> maybe Don will catch one and I can eat it. Let me know how it goes. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, well, the the next one, we've, we've talked about it a little bit, so we'll, we'll shift to Dwebble and Crustle, but I know, Alice, you wanted to, to talk about these two. Ah, yes. Wait, Dwebble and Crustle. Oh, yeah, of course, because they're crabs. They're hermit crabs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they don't get enough attention because, like what you might have seen at the pet store, they are terrestrial mm-hmm. hermit crabs. It evolves into Crustle, which I find super cool. Uh, not only because, you know, it's another crab and I love crabs and it has stalked eyes, yeah. which we all mentioned were really <laughs> important. It has the correct number of legs for an anamurin mm-hmm. and it's, I guess its shell has stratified rock layers. And that's one of my favorite parts of it is that to me, I think this shows it's, I guess, evolutionary age because it's, it's aged as long as the rock that it lives in. Mm-hmm. I, I have I have a question about about hermit crabs. Oh yeah, because well about Dwebble and hermit crabs. So mm-hmm. it says in the Dex entry that its natural enemies, one of its natural enemies, is Roly Coley, mm-hmm. and I don't really understand why. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I was and, actually just thinking about this earlier. <laughs> and so the the only thing that I can think of is that it says that Dwebble uses some kind of like almost like acidic saliva type thing to kind of melt holes into rocks to, mm-hmm. to make its home. And the only thing that I can think of is that they're enemies because Dwebble tries to make a home in a roly-coly. Obviously roly-coly doesn't like that and fights back. I didn't know if maybe there was some sort of like, is there any area of the world where like coal mining is damaging hermit crab habitat? Not off the top of my head. Which I thought would be a really obscure. I went in the other direction. Because to me, I feel like they would sit in the same ecological niche and so that they would be looking for the same resources. Gotcha. It also says that Roggenrola is also... So it just hates all the rock Pokemon. (laughs) It is weak Don't make enemies of your neighbors. Like, that's not a good idea. Or your potential homes. Uh Exactly. And actually, I think another thing that I love about... um, uh, these Pokemon is the fact that they make their homes. Mm-hmm. When you consider like a real hermit crab, they never make their homes. They find mm-hmm. homes that were made by snails that are left over. And so I think this is very economic <laughs> of of them. Have you seen Dwebble without its rock home? Because it's adorable. When you I see- have not. But it's in it's in the anime. Dwebble naked Dwebble. Uh, so I have not seen Dwebble without its shell, but I have seen hermit crabs without their shells, and that is not adorable. No, it's all snaky. It's it's squishy and and, and a little strange looking, but they're they're just sad and vulnerable. So one one last little bit about it being like symbiosis with other Pokemon: if it can't find a rock, Dwebble moves into Hippowdon's ports. 
That makes me uncomfortable. That I don't I don't like that. Yeah, it makes oh. me think about pearlfish, and I hate having to think about pearlfish. We don't want to <laughs> think about pearlfish any more than we have to. I, I don't I don't like this. I, yes. Okay. But yeah, <laughs> no. Grubble is adorable. Crustle Crustle less adorable, but still really cool. I think. And I think is it one of the only Pokemon that can use Shell Smash without literally killing itself? I think so, because it just gets a new one. Yeah. Because all the other ones, it's like our turtles, which yeah. just die. <laughs> You're correct. It, it does it. It smashes and then just gets a new home. Yeah. So I just looked up a picture of naked Dwebble. That that's a really weird phrase to use. Um, <laughs> and it looks like a puppy. Yeah. Yeah. With a, it's got a little sad eyes, and yeah. It's what pretty- I find weird is that it's using its claws as like walking legs too. But you're right; it is very cute. It has like a little tail, which is not crustaceany at all. But that's okay. <laughs> it's all part of the design. Exactly. It's also funny that they gave it a tail, considering you almost will never see the tail. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. All right. Well, we are we are actually we're using up a, a good chunk of time so i think we might cut a few we'll cut out some of the ones that that we had had and alice i want to make sure we get to ones that, that you wanted to touch on so if we could uh jump into um anorith yeah that would be great um so i wanted to talk about anorith mostly because of the fossil i guess that it's based off of um so anorith is a rock bug-type fossil Pokemon that was introduced in Gen 3. And it evolves into Armaldo, which I am less keen to talk about because I don't think it's very crustacean-y at all. We can leave Armaldo out of this one. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so Anorith is based off of of an extinct genus of animals called Anomalocaris. And the reason I want to bring this up, even though they are not specifically crustaceans per se, they are the ancestors of both uh, crustaceans and insects. Mm. Uh, There have been a bunch of fossils of them found in like the Cambrian deposits and like the famous one, the Burgess Shale. Uh, And you see them in all sorts of positions and they look so strange, nothing like what any of the crustaceans or insects look like now. Uh, But I really appreciated the fact that they maintained the fact that uh, Anorith is, I guess, a bug Pokemon, even though from an evolutionary point of view, all bug Pokemon should be crustacean Pokemon, but we will, that, that's a conversation for another time. Yeah. <laughs> Gen 9, they just changed the type. Oh, also, I'm looking at Anomalocaris now, and um, not small. No, it is sizable, yeah. I would I would say so. Meter four feetish, uh, just based on the fossil record. Um, they're segmented. They have eyes and these two like curly tentacly things that are coming out of its front end. Well, I think we are we are coming up on our on our time, Alice. But I know there was there was one that you wanted to bring up. Barnacles are just so weird. And 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 please, and and obviously we're talking about them now. But barnacles are crustaceans, and that's not something a lot of people would connect. Because they don't seem like they would be connected. I think most people would probably assume barnacles are rocks. Yeah. Or at the very most coral. I hear mollusks a lot from people. Yeah, right? Because they're sessile. They have like this hard outer shell. Uh, Nope, they're crustaceans. And Mm -hmm. like really, really strange crustaceans at that. 
Yeah. Well, 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 so what, what, what makes barnacles cool? Like what, you know, what, 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 what makes them, what, what makes them something that people kind of go, go nuts over? Well, I, I, I think it'd be going a little far to say that people go nuts for barnacles. People I know. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, if you gave me an opportunity to study barnacles, I would be all on that. Yeah. Um, Although they are, I feel like the polar opposite of mantis shrimps and like the, mm. the crustacean. And I feel like in terms of hierarchy as well. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so barnacles are sessile. So they have these shells that they stick to various substances such as uh, rocks or on the side of your boat, which is not cool. No. Um, they are uh, mostly suspension feeders. Uh, which means that they have these, I wouldn't call them tentacles because I feel like that brings cephalopods to mind a little bit, but they're like, like these little... Cilia-like things, kind of. Exactly. They're like these feathery extensions that go out and catch um, like little bits and pieces of food out of the water. They have, okay, so just like some fun facts about them. They don't really have a heart. They don't, like they don't have a... A circulatory system in the same way that a lot of other crustaceans do. Let's be real. Uh, you, you meant that they that they're just really mean. Well, <laughs> Barbaracle looks like he hates his siblings. Yeah. And also, like Barbaracle is not a nice looking Pokemon. No. I I look I Loki love Bar Barbaracle. Well, there are I'm some kind of gnarly barnacles out there. There's some parasitic barnacles in the. Yes. Yes, I know. Alice is excited to talk about the parasitic ones. I mean, they're just. It's you would never think of a barnacle to be something so nefarious. Okay, it's this is not fair to parasites to call them nefarious, but there is a um, a group of barnacles that parasitize uh, decapod crustaceans. Yeah, I mean they've also been found on other crustaceans like mantis shrimps and other barnacles, but they're really well known for essentially castrating one their host. So they get rid of their host's reproductive system, replace the reproductive system with themselves, which causes the animals to protect what seems like eggs on their body. And then they affect their nervous system and make these animals behave in the way that they want them to. Like little it's, zombie crabs. That's exactly what they are. And they do this just to further their own reproduction. Well, the the one thing that I would want to point out about binacle is it's very much a um, an Applin situation, Don, where it is not the the rock is just a rock, and that binacle is it's like it, there are binacles that live outside of the rock. We just ha do not see them. Okay, because binacle um, is it? It's a goose barnacle, right? At least that's what it sort of. That's what it looks like. Yeah. And and so basically, what the, what the deck says is that when two binacle find a rock, they just decide to live together and be cool with each other. You wouldn't know that based on how they look at each other. They look really mad. <laughs> uh, so they they I just think it's weird to think of like these weird little tuby hand things just kind of floating out in the ocean, but reasonably that that's there because it says they have to find the rock to live together. Oh, and something else that not to like distract from the current uh, direction of the conversation. Uh, but I would like to say that Barbarical is probably the biggest offender in terms of crustacean eyes. <laughs> oh, with, uh, with one on like every hand? 
with one on every hand and then two on the main hand. Yeah. This is not okay. Do any barnacles have um? Do barnacles have any sort of like eyes or photoreceptory sort of stuff? Uh, not as far as I know. I th- I'm pretty sure that they have some sort of like light sensitivity, like but I don't think they have a dedicated light sensitive organ like an eye. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, although I don't, this is I this is not a crustacean animal, but cool filter feeding marine animals that have weird eyes would be tube worms. Ooh. Yes. I don't think there's a tube worm Pokemon, so I'm not sure if we'll be able to talk about it. <laughs> but highly recommend you look it up. It's really awesome. We will keep that in Ooh, mind. A Christmas tree worm wand would be really cool. Yes! Oh my god, I love Christmas tree worms. The uh, the, the last question I'll have for, for Barbarical um, is, it says that when Binacle evolves, it multiplies okay. into seven. And so essentially, you, you the, the seven that are in the Barbarical came from the two. And how does that necessarily apply to how Barnacles reproduce? I don't think it does. Okay. <laughs> okay. So barnacles reproduce like mm. a lot of other crustaceans do, which is that they release the different, the necessary components into the water around them. Mm. Um, I think mating is very, very difficult because they are stuck to the rock that they're on. Yeah. Uh, so they release the sperm and the eggs into the water. Those match up. They create these uh, little barnacle larvae which actually look much more like normal crustacean larvae that have uh, the ability to like swim around and stuff mm. and then when they reach a certain point they settle and then make their little homes that almost sounds like binacle finding the rocks with the other ones okay there you go <laughs> uh so there you go we came full circle there <laughs> all right well we are we packed a lot into this and you know what we probably we definitely left some crustacean ones out there but we have had a a very full episode to this point so we might have to have you come back at some point to kind of round out all these things oh, uh, i'm happy to uh but the one question we always like to ask our desk our guests not desks wow <laughs> the one question we always ask our guests if you could have one pokemon for your subject matter so or for your subject matter what would you want to see Okay, so I know that the obvious answer here is that I want a Mantis Shrimp Pokemon, and that is true, but because we already already talked about that, I would like to propose a secondary Pokemon. Allowed. Uh, I would love to see an Amphipod Pokemon, uh, which we haven't talked about. I don't think there are Amphipod Pokemon, but specifically one based off of a group called um, Hyperid Amphipods. Now, if anyone has ever seen Aliens versus Predators, mm-hmm. The predators are based off of a species of hyperid amphipods. Oh, okay. They're really cool. They're very often transparent, mm-hmm. which would be such a wild feature. Um, so I'm picturing it as kind of a ghost bug type Pokemon with water attack. Oh, I'm a big fan of this guy right, right here. It would be so cool. Yeah. And it's I'm is the one I'm looking at, I think. Yes, Sistosoma is amazing. Uh, there's also Phronema. So Phronema is the one that I believe the alien and alien and predators. Wait, which one is it? Alien or predator? Uh, pre- predator. I know the xenomorph is just kind of the xenomorph. So it's, it'll be, it'd probably be the predator. Oh yeah. So um, 
rumor has it that the the design for the predator is based off of Phronema. Mm-hmm. And I it does have the sort of helmet look to it. Yeah. Uh, so Phronema are really cool because they. Uh, I I don't know if it would it is would be accurately described as uh, a parasitic relationship, but they live inside of salps, which are kind of just like barrel jellyfish. Oh, don't they sort of drive them around or something? Yes. (laughs) Okay, they scoop them up. Yeah, it's super weird. (laughs) It's really cool, and I would love to see a Pokemon based on this. I can can get behind this. I'm glad you brought this one up and brought it to us. I once heard it compared to someone. It was like if lions hollowed out like a hippo and then drove it around to suck up (laughs) gazelles. I think that's a great analogy. Because <laughs> nah. it it chews the hole in the salp, right? Or is the salp just having? Yeah, to... yeah. Uh, I think the salp is the salp doesn't die. So the uh, the Phronema lay their little babies inside of the salp, where it, so they have this little like floating spaceship home. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> it's so cool. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna write a letter to Nintendo. <laughs> requesting this Pokemon. Do it. Well, I will co-sign. Appreciate it. And if you're listening, we would appreciate your signature <laughs> yes, as well. Start the campaign now. Uh, <laughs> Alright, let's head to the wrap-up. Alright, Alice, thank you so much for your time. I have loved this, this conversation with you. Um, I hope you had some fun with us. Oh, absolutely. This is a great time. <laughs> good, good. Well, uh, if our listeners want to connect with you or learn more about the work that your lab is doing, uh, where can they find you or, or the lab? Uh, so the for all of my science stuff, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is overbrainbows. Kind of like over the rainbow, except over brainbows with a B. Nice. I like it. And I don't think we actually said what, what lab you're in, but what, what lab are you working with? Uh, so I am in uh, the Cronin lab at, at UMBC right now. Okay. Uh, he is the guy in the Radiolab episodes. Ah, okay. Yeah. Nice. I know. I love saying that I am two degrees away from Jad Abumrad. <laughs> there you go. Actually, even cooler, two degrees away from David Attenborough. That's, That's pretty sweet. Yeah. All right. I'll give you that one. Well, uh, listeners, thank you so much. I hope you had some fun with us uh, today. Uh, as always, one of the best ways you can continue to support the show is if you leave us a review in your podcasting app of choice. It helps others find the show. It helps building the community. Uh, we really appreciate appreciate your time in, in filling those out. And really appreciate you coming to listen to us because we do this for you. And we like to help connect you with interesting people like Alice. So thank you for continuing to, to listen to our show. And we'll catch you next time. So thanks, everyone. Bye.